John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 72 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Since we missed our scheduled podcast for Sunday for personal reasons, there's a lot to review, and we will get to as much of it as is possible. Since the impeachment public hearings ended, or at least paused last week, a lot has happened. We will review some of the stuff that occurred after episode number 71, Uh, with regard to the impeachment hearings. But first, I want to fill in what we now know about the timeline involving the Ukrainian scandal, which appears is going to get Donald Trump impeached. The Republican talking points, and they have been scattershot, they have been all over the place, and I believe uh, purposely so. I love the poorly educated. Because basically what the Trump people want to do is they want to throw everything up against the wall and give the cult options. The cult loves options for how they're going to defend any particular behavior of Donald Trump. But when it comes to the specifics of the Ukrainian scandal, there's been an attempt, at least by those who were on the Intelligence Committee in the House of Representatives where the impeachment hearings were held, there's been an attempt by Republicans to say, well, look, hold on, Uh, this was a crime that was never actually consummated. And after all, President Trump told Ambassador Ambassador, uh, Gordon Sondland that there was no quid pro quo and the aid was restored to Ukraine and it was only 55 days. And what's the big deal here? And come on, can you really impeach a president over something as minuscule as this? That's been the basic Republican response. Correct. And uh, the, the problem here is 
that in order for people to understand what utter bullcrap that is, they have to actually pay attention and they have to understand details and nuance and a timeline. Correct. And unfortunately, there's not that many people out there, at least percentage-wise, that are capable of, of, capable of that. Because in order to understand a timeline, you need details. In order to have details, you need to focus, you need to read, you need to pay attention, you need to be able to trust your media outlets. And there are very few people, especially within the Trump cult, who are willing and able to do all that. I love the poorly educated. Because after all, Fox News Channel and talk radio are not providing any of this information. Well, what we now know in just the last couple of days is that at both ends of the timeline, the story just doesn't jive. In fact, it doesn't even come close to making any damn sense. Uh, Let's go to the first element of the timeline. When was the aid to Ukraine actually stopped? And what's interesting to me personally about this is we had Representative Congressman uh, Democrat John Yarmouth, a good friend of mine from Louisville, Kentucky, who was the head of the Budget Committee on this program about a month or two ago. And he said he was going to get to the bottom of this because his committee, obviously the Budget Committee, deals with appropriations like this. Well, I don't know how I, I do know that the Budget Committee uh, was an integral part of this. But we now know through the Budget Committee, where John is the chairman, that guess what? The official stopping of the Ukrainian aid occurred the night or the evening or the day of the now infamous phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. That's right. Bum, bum, bum. Here's from CNN. We now know that the White House Budget Office took its first official action to withhold $250 million in aid to Ukraine on the evening of July 25th. Again. That is a critical day. It's not just the day of the phone call. It's the day after the pathetic Robert Mueller testimony. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Now, this is according to a House Budget Committee summary. That's the committee where John Yarmouth, my friend, is the chairman. Summary of the office's documents. That was the very same day that Trump spoke by phone to Ukraine President Zelensky, prefacing his request for an investigation of the 2016 election with the now infamous phrase, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Agencies had been notified at a July 18 meeting that the aid had been frozen by the president a week before the call. The Office of Budget and Management uh, official who signed off on the initial Ukraine aid freeze before a Trump political appointee took over the task, testified that the president's interest in the aid dated back to June but that he couldn't get an explanation for why the aid was withheld in July or August. Okay, so, uh, you know, there are coincidences, but this one is too, too, too profound. This is a lot like, by the way, the, uh, although a little bit different, this is about a lot like when Trump publicly stated, hey, Russia, if you're listening, uh, please hack into Hillary's emails. And they tried to do that that very same night. Well, here we have the phone call with Zelensky, and now we know that the first official act to withhold the money from Ukraine occurred that night, the night of the phone call. But even more importantly than that is the back end of this. So when did the crime get stopped? When did they pull the plug on this? We now know. We now know that the whistleblower complaint came about 12 days before the aid was restored. Now, some on the right, the Colt 45 media, who will do anything to rationalize 
facts in favor of Trump are claiming that those 12 days somehow exonerate Donald Trump. But hold on a second. First of all, 12 days is not that long. Second of all, during that 12 days, we don't know 100% sure when did Trump know the severity of it? When did he know he wasn't going to be able to quash it? When did he know that his goose was cooked? When did he know he had to pull the plug? This was incredibly important to him. This wasn't something he was just going to go, oh, wow, there's a whistleblower complaint. I give up, uncle. No, he spent 12 days trying to figure out whether or not he could find a way around it. He didn't want to give up his leverage on Ukraine on a snap of a finger on an anonymous whistleblower complaint that maybe... No one was ever going to find out about. Remember, this was a guy who just effectively quashed the, the Mueller report because of his attorney general, Bill Barr. So this was not a guy who was going to just give up. Oh, well, uh, you know what? That, that plan didn't work. I, I got uh, I, I to toss it into the fireplace. No, but there's another thing that happened in that 12-day period. The day before the aid was restored, John Bolton resigned as national security advisor or was fired, depending on who you believe. So there's all sorts of reasons why Trump would eventually go, oh, okay, all right, I need to abandon ship on this. This is not going to work out well because uh, people are, are hip to the scam. That When you look at the timeline, it could not be more clear. It could not be more clear that there was, in fact, a quid pro quo and that when Trump realized that the plan was not going to work or that it was going to be found out this was going to be a big problem, he pulled the plug. And the pulling the plug of a criminal enterprise in a rational world does not get you out of culpability, <laughs> except unless, I guess, you're a member of cult 45. I love the poorly educated. And this is where Trump's seemingly conflicting statements work to his advantage, because there are people in his fan base who truly believe that Trump telling Ambassador Sunland, I don't want a quid pro quo. There's no quid pro quo. I want nothing. I want nothing. That somehow that is relevant. It's not relevant at the time he said it, because at the time he said it to Sunland, he already knew this was going down in flames, that it was that because of the whistleblower complaint, he was not going to be able to get away with this, at least not easily. So this is the context here is very important. Unfortunately, we no longer live in a world where facts matter. We no longer live in a world where nuance matter matters. We don't have a populace that is educated enough. We don't have a populace that's focused enough. Even those people who are focused and educated and not part of a cult are too damn busy to get all the details. And while it's not super complicated, it's not that simple either. It takes more than a few seconds to explain it all. And that's problematic. And it goes right to Donald Trump's benefit. He always is benefiting from the fact that the population is not fully educated about what's actually happened and or they don't care. And Fox News Channel and talk radio and the state-run, formerly conservative media plays an incredibly important role in all of this. Now, let's go to the impeachment hearings themselves, because some of this relates directly to that. And I think it's important to point out that even the people who were directly involved in all of this, even the people who were directly involved in all this, they didn't have all the context until very recently. And one of those was Fiona Hill, Dr. Fiona Hill, State Department Russian expert advisor, who was one of the star witnesses last week. And I have to tell you, while I like Fiona Hill a lot, super smart, she scared me. 
She scared me. I think she scared a lot of people. She definitely scared Republicans. Correct. Uh, because if you saw her testimony, you know that Republicans stopped asking her questions. <laughs> they, you, even Jim Jordan was afraid of her. Jim Jordan just decided, oh, you know what, I'm not going to mess with this woman. She's way smarter than I am. She knows way more than I do. She's way more credible than I am. I'm just going to give a speech about Colt 45 bullcrap. Uh, and that's essentially what happened here. Correct. Uh, so, you know, I got to tell you, if Fiona Hill ever taught a class of mine in high school and college, I would have been terrified. I would have been absolutely terrified. I don't know if I would have been able to make it into class uh, because she's that kind of person in a good way, in a good way. I mean, I, I have enormous respect for her and uh, her personal story and her intelligence and her knowledge and her willingness to tell the truth. But from the standpoint of how important context is and how it is that even people directly involved needed to see, even just this past week, needed to see all of the evidence placed in front of them, the timeline, the differing statements. Here is Fiona Hill talking about her eureka moment in her conversations with Ambassador Gordon Sunland, where she was at first upset with him over what she did not understand was going on regarding our policy with Ukraine. And then she suddenly goes, aha, now I get what's going on because we have two different paths here, the path of good and the path uh, of criminality or corruption. And here's what that sounded like last week. And what I was angry about was that he wasn't coordinating with us. Now, I actually realized, having listened to his deposition, that he was absolutely right, that he wasn't coordinating with us because we weren't doing the same thing that he was doing. So I was upset with him that he wasn't fully telling us about all of the meetings that he was having. And he said to me, but I'm briefing the president. I'm briefing Chief of Staff Mulvaney. I'm briefing Secretary Pompeo, and I've talked to Ambassador Bolton. Who else do I have to deal with? And the point is we have a robust interagency process uh, that deals with Ukraine. It includes Mr. Holmes. It includes Ambassador Taylor as the charge in Ukraine. It includes a whole load of other people. But it struck me when yesterday, when you put up on the screen Ambassador Sondland's emails and who was on these emails, and he said, these are the people who need to know that he was absolutely right because he was being involved in a domestic political errand. And we were being involved in national security foreign policy, and those two things had just diverged. So he was correct, and I had not put my finger on the, at that at the moment, but I was irritated with him and angry with him that he wasn't fully coordinating. And I did say to him, Ambassador Sondland, Gordon, I think this is all going to blow up. And here we are. So she was right. But it's really amazing to me that, as I've said twice now, even people as smart as her, directly involved here, they didn't understand the full context until very recently. So how are the American people going to possibly fully understand the full context. I love the poorly educated. I mean, look, the reality is that while millions of people watch the hearings, a very small percentage overall of American adults watch the hearings. People are working. They're not interested. They have a lot of other uh, entertainment options because that's what it is now in the fragmented world. You have 500 entertainment options. And even though ABC and NBC and CBS uh, aired most of the critical parts of the of the testimony live, which I thought was great. It's still a, a relatively small percentage of the overall population. And let's face it, the people who are watching are probably anti-Trump to begin with because they want to see his go goose getting cooked. 
But that's an incredibly important point that Hill makes, not just from the context perspective, but also about what was really going on here. And one of the reasons why Republicans were so afraid of Hill is that she really went after them on this whole conspiracy theory involving the 2016 election. And as a Russian expert, she was particularly outraged that Russia was being let off the hook by Republicans, specifically on that committee, who were parroting uh, the words of, of Donald Trump, questioning whether or not Russia really was the entity that, for instance, uh, that hacked into the DNC computers and were, were the cause of the WikiLeaks uh, email leaks that dominated the media coverage of the last month or so of the 2016 election, as well as tried to influence the campaign via online advertising. She was really outraged by that. And she went out to Republicans hard on that. And Republicans, I thought, laughably tried to fight back by saying, no, 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 oh, that's not us. No one on this committee believes that. OK, uh, maybe technically you didn't say that, but your boss, your president, your cult leader has said that consistently and you've done nothing to tamp that down. So at the very least, you're enabling this conspiracy theory that somehow it was Ukraine that was at the heart of this in 2016 and not Russia. There's no evidence of that. There's no logic to that. I still, my gut still tells me that what Trump was trying to do here had an, at least in part an effort to try to help Roger Stone's defense in his trial where he ended up getting convicted. I can't prove that. It hasn't come up in any significant way. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it's always been odd to me as to why Trump would use his, first, he mentions this first in the call with Zelensky before he mentions the issue of the Biden investigations. Why would he use his first card, his first chit, his first, can you do me a favor, so, for, can you do me a favor, though? Why would he mention it first? unless it directly impacted him. Yeah, I get from an ego standpoint, uh, it would be great if he could somehow show that Russia really didn't influence the 2016 election. I get that that has value to him. And maybe it has value to him because it would please Vladimir Putin, which is a pretty nefarious narrative. I'm sorry, though. I, I just That doesn't fit to me the way that Trump thinks. Trump thinks about what the next hurdle is. He just got past the Mueller investigation literally the, the day before. It, it, he even mentions what a disaster uh, Mueller's testimony was. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And so I just find it hard to believe he's looking in his rearview mirror and not looking ahead. And looking ahead at that time in July, the next big, big thing, the next big challenge was being implicated in Roger Stone's trial, which, by the way, he was. But the media basically ignored it because it happened at the same time as the impeachment hearings. And so despite the fact that Roger Stone gets convicted on all charges of perjury and Trump gets directly implicated in that perjury, uh, there's almost been no impact to that. Zero impact. Hardly any media coverage of it. It's just it's just astonishing to me. You cannot be serious. But that's where we are. So I just want to mention that I've always said that there's never been any proof of it. I'm going partially on gut instinct and partially on what I believe to be Trump's M.O. But as far as the, the issue uh, of Hill going after Republicans, what was really hilarious about this was 
literally the next day, I think it was the next day, but if it wasn't the next day, it was the next morning, the morning after that, within 36 hours at least, Trump goes on Fox and Friends. He goes on Fox and Friends and does exactly what Republicans are saying their party's not doing by saying he still doesn't buy into the Russian influence uh, conclusions of the intelligence community and still claiming that Ukraine was behind the hacking in 2016. Even Fox and Friends asked him whether or not he knows that, and he came up with absolutely nothing in response. Correct. So it's it's just a a back-crap crazy conspiracy theory for which there's no evidence, and it makes no damn sense. And even Fox and Friends, his favorite TV show, pushed back on it a little bit. But then what happens after that? After that, Senator John Kennedy, Republican, no relation to the president, John Kennedy. He goes on Fox News Channel and he 1000 percent parrots the president's position on this saying, I don't know whether or not Russia interfered in the 2016 election, and you don't know either. It might have been Ukraine. It might have been Russia. Who knows? I don't know. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. But on Fox News Channel, that's the party line. And then in, a, in a, an event that really, to me, crystallizes 2019 in a nutshell, the very same senator, John Kennedy, goes on CNN and does a complete 180. Correct. Telling Chris Cuomo, yeah, I was wrong. It actually was Russia, and uh, and everyone knows it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And everyone's like, well, wait a minute. What, what changed? What could have possibly changed from two completely diametrically opposed statements, one on Fox News Channel to one on CNN? And my response was, well, no kidding. We know what the difference was. It's the outlet. If you go on Fox News Channel, you ha- that's where the Trump cult is watching. You don't want the cult Trump cult up your ass. So you're going to lie and, and give the president's v- vision on this, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how much of a conspiracy theory it is, no matter how debunked it is, it doesn't matter. So you're going to lie on Fox News Channel. And then, by the way, you're going to lie <laughs> on CNN to explain why you can now tell the truth, because he claimed he didn't understand the question. You didn't understand the question on Fox News Channel. I mean, come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. If you watched it, it couldn't have been more clear. His answer could not have been more clear. He's lying. He's lying about not understanding the question so that he can justify now telling the truth on CNN where he knows the Trump cult is not watching. Correct. And so, and therefore... They're never going to play it on Fox News Channel. This isn't going to be a big issue that John Kennedy uh, completely contradicted himself and contradicted the president. Fox News Channel is going to ignore it. Fox uh, talk, talk Radio is going to ignore it. The state-run media is going to ignore it. So he gets to have his cake and eat it, too. He cleans up his lie by telling the truth on CNN. He, get, he gets to maintain some semblance of credibility on the issue. Even though he's now lied twice, he lies to Fox News Channel about not thinking that uh, Russia, that we know that Russia was the source of of the 2016 interference. And then he lies to CNN saying he didn't understand the question. I mean, there used to be two wrongs don't make a right. But now I guess they do, at least in this bizarro world where we have so much media fragmentation that you can say one thing on one cable news network, a totally different thing on another cable news network, and it works for you.
And there's and it was probably done partially by design. But that's the crazy world we're living in. I also want to mention, with regard to that Fox News Channel, Fox and Friends interview, Trump told Fox and Friends, quote, Bill Barr, who is a great attorney general, we would have maybe ended this thing, meaning the Mueller investigation, a lot sooner had he been there originally. So that's incredibly important. It's been largely ignored because there's been so much other stuff to talk about. But the president of the United States on Fox and Friends in referencing Bill Barr, of whom I've been incredibly critical for his evisceration of the Mueller report. That's why he was hired. It's why Jeff Sessions was fired, because Sessions had recused himself from the Russian investigation, from the Mueller investigation. And it was Bill Barr who went out and lied about what was in the Mueller report, what the conclusions were. He, he muted it. He, he created a false narrative about it. And then Mueller could never recover from that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. But Trump going on Fox and Friends and saying we would have maybe ended this thing a lot sooner had he been there originally. Goes Further than anything else I've seen in justifying my uh, somewhat controversial position, because very few people uh, seem to agree with me on this, but it is my very strong opinion that the firing of Jeff Sessions the day after the 2018 general ele- uh, uh, midterm election, the firing of Jeff Sessions as attorney general, which was clearly because of his recusal from the Russian investigation, that that firing was absolutely obstruction of justice. It wasn't fi- it wasn't obstruction of justice the moment he fired Jeff Sessions. It became obstruction of justice the moment that Bill Barr did what he did on the Mueller report. And the proof of that now is we have the president of the United States saying on live national television, we would have maybe ended this thing a lot sooner had he been there originally. That's the smoking gun. That's the proof of what I've been saying for months, that Trump hired Barr for the sole purpose of muting Mueller, cutting Mueller's legs out from underneath him, ending the investigation in whichever way he could. Now, what's really interesting about that is, of course, it's hard to to take Trump by every word that he says because Let's face it, he lies a lot, and he's not exactly, uh, per, you know, very precise with his word usage. But if you take that technically what he said there, you could also argue that this is evidence that Barr shut Mueller down. Now, there are a lot of people that believe that. Now, Mueller never said that. And ordinarily, that would be proof that it didn't happen. But Mueller is such a wuss and, and such a company guy, I don't know what to believe anymore. So I, I don't know whether or not it's possible that effectively Barr shut him down and Mueller got intimidated and didn't want to hang around for a for a subpoena fight in the courts to get Trump to testify or what have you. But that statement by Trump I found to be very interesting and potentially uh, proof of a lot of what I've been saying. And so I wanted to reference it uh, here now. Now, the impeachment hearings ended uh, somewhat dramatically with Adam Schiff. And I, and I want to say a little bit about Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is the Democratic congressman, the head of the Intelligence Committee, 
boy, he takes a lot of uh, brutal beatings from Colt 45. You know, he has he has two unfortunate things, which apparently are very, very important in this day and age. I didn't realize that we were back in, like, kindergarten or first grade, but apparently we are because now uh, you can create a, 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 a mountain of evidence that the president uh, did clearly impeachable things, but if the person who is in charge of that investigation has big eyes and a name that rhymes with shit, then apparently none of it matters. Correct. That's, that's the world we now live in. On one side, a mountain of evidence. On the other side, the guy in charge has big eyes, looks a little funny, and his name rhymes with shit. So obviously we've got to acquit. If his name rhymes with shit, you've got to acquit. That's what Johnny Cochran, O.J. Simpson's attorney, would have said. I love the poorly educated. It's just pathetic. But Adam Schiff, who I think has done a heck of a job under very, very difficult circumstances, and this is a guy who... He, he's the uh, congressman in my area in Southern California. I have uh, relatives who are in his district who even have some dealings with him. Uh, he's a guy I disagree with on a lot of issues, but he has been under very, very difficult circumstances. And I thought he did a great job in summarizing a lot of why this is important, why this should result in the impeachment of the president. And here is just, I mean, I could have, we could play 10 minutes of this, but here is just the last minute and 30 seconds of what ended up being a very emotional close to the public impeachment hearings where, where Schiff talks about the timing. Again, the timeline, the timing here is so incredibly important. I've mentioned this many, many times. But here is Schiff closing the impeachment hearings by referencing the remarkable, not coincidence, of the fact that the Zelensky call occurs the day after Robert Mueller testifies. And here was Adam Schiff last week. It came down to the fact that the day after Bob Mueller testified, the day after Bob Mueller testified that Donald Trump invited Russian interference, hey, Russia, if you're listening, come get Hillary's emails, and later that day, they tried to hack her server. The day after he testified that not only did Trump invite that interference, but that he welcomed the help in the campaign, they made full use of it, they lied about it, they obstructed the investigation into it, and all this is in his testimony and his report. The day after that, Donald Trump is back on the phone asking another nation to involve itself in another U.S. election. That says to me this president believes he is above the law, beyond accountability. And in my view, there is nothing more dangerous than an unethical president who believes they are above the law. And I would just say to people watching here at home and around the world, in the words of my great colleague, we are better than that. Adjourned. Now... If you're a fan of uh, this podcast, you know that reference. We are better than that because he was quoting the now late Elijah Cummings, Democratic congressman, whose uh, soundbite we use quite often. We're better than that. And often I use it whenever I'm discussing something that indicates that, frankly, we're not better than that. We're better than that. 
And when I heard uh, Schiff reference Cummings, first of all, I, I got a little emotional myself, uh, maybe for different reasons than Schiff did, although maybe for the same reasons. Uh, because I, I have a theory that part of why Schiff got emotional there is that he wasn't, it's not just that he's talking about his friend Elijah Cummings, who was a great man, who recently passed away at, at a horrible time, obviously. I mean, I know it's no good time to pass away, but, but in the midst of all this, when you're a fighter uh, against Donald Trump and someone that had respect on both sides of the aisle, it's a particularly bad time to pass away. So I'm sure that was part of why Schiff got emotional. But I believe, and it's just my gut, the part of why Schiff got so uh, choked up there, and it's the reason I got so choked up when I watched it, is that he knows deep down that we're not better than that and that this is not going to end well, that Trump is not going to end up being removed, that it might even be a struggle to impeach him, although I'm confident that he will be impeached, and that in the end, Trump really is going to suffer very little, if any, consequence from this, because unfortunately, we're not as Elijah Cummings claimed that we are. We're better than that. And this is maybe the ultimate proof of that. I still hold out hope that maybe somehow justice will emerge from the rubble of, of this fiasco, but I don't have a lot of confidence because I'm a cynic at heart and I also, someone has my eyes wide open, not as wide open as Adam Schiff's eyes, but pretty wide open and I can see the way the world works in this day and age and very rarely is there justice the bigger the news story the less chance there is for justice to be done and I think Donald Trump has a lot going for him and in some ways I think it's quite possible he ends up benefiting from all of this I don't know how much but the political ramifications of this are still yet to be seen we don't know for instance, how will the country react when he finally is impeached? And we also don't know for sure how this is all going to impact Joe Biden. And I have said many, many times that the whole reason why the Ukrainian scandal happened was because Joe Biden is the candidate that Donald Trump fears most. And he should fear him most because Joe Biden, at least as he was perceived a couple of months ago, would beat Donald Trump almost every single time. I cannot say that about any of the other major Democratic candidates. I've also said, however, that this Ukrainian scandal could backfire on Joe Biden, even if he did absolutely nothing wrong, which I don't believe there's any evidence he did anything wrong. Uh, and in fact, some of the impeachment witnesses who were Republicans said exactly that last week. There's no evidence, but evidence doesn't matter anymore. Facts don't matter. Logic doesn't matter. It's all about perception. And with the, the word corruption being used in connection to Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, on a consistent basis, I'm sorry, that's going to have an impact. Now, there's conflicting evidence on how much of an impact it has had, but Republicans are going to do everything they can to make sure it has an impact, including Republicans who used to be close friends of Joe Biden, specifically Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, a very close friend of John McCain. McCain, very close friend to Joe Biden. There's a tape of Lindsey Graham just a couple of years ago in tears talking about what a great man Joe Biden is. Well, fortunately, that doesn't matter anymore because Lindsey Graham has a much higher calling. That calling is to kiss the butt of his cult leader, Donald Trump. And let me be very clear. 
Lindsey Graham now says he's going to investigate the Bidens for corruption with Burisma. He's the, the, uh, the head of the Judiciary Committee there in the Senate, and he wants to get to the bottom of it. Hold on a second. Not only is there no evidence or logic, uh, and nor is the timeline consistent with Joe Biden doing anything wrong, but what happened at the time? Why was there no investigation when this happened? Why was there not one word about this when it happened? There was not one word about this when it happened because everyone knew there was nothing wrong, that Joe Biden was doing exactly the right thing, that everyone agreed that Joe Biden was doing the right thing. It's now only in retrospect that this can be used for a political advantage and because the president of the United States has declared that this is now the Republican position and therefore anyone who wants to show their loyalty to the king, they must do everything they can to promote this bogus theory. So Lindsey Graham is doing this, and obviously Joe Biden is hurt personally by it, and he made some interesting comments in an interview to CNN about Lindsey Graham, and here's what that sounded like. Let me ask you, because Lindsey Graham now, who you've worked with, who was a friend, who I know there's video of him saying, oh, you are the nicest person he's ever met, you're the greatest man, and now he's asking the State Department for documents for you and your son. What do you say to Lindsey Graham and, and folks like him? They're asking Lindsey Graham. They have him under his, their thumb right, right now. They know, he knows, if he comes out against Trump, he's got a real tough road for re-election. Number one, I am disappointed, and quite frankly, I'm angered by the fact he knows me. He knows my son. He knows there's nothing to this. Trump is now essentially holding power over him that even the Ukrainians wouldn't yield to. The Ukrainians would not yield to, quote, investigate Biden. There's nothing to investigate about Biden or his son. And, and Lindsey is about to go down in a way that I think he's going to regret his whole life. What do you say to him? I say, Lindsey, I, I, I just, uh, I, I, I'm just embarrassed by what you're doing. I mean, my Lord. I'm embarrassed that I used to think highly of Lindsey Graham. I used to think Lindsey Graham was the greatest during the Bill Clinton impeachment of 1998 and 1999. I then later found out some things about what he was doing behind the scenes, which changed that view. But now I I view Lindsey Graham as one of the very worst people in all of this because he's a fraud. If you're going to be a bad guy, I mean, Jim Jordan is at least transparent about what a bad guy he is. Lindsey Graham pretends to be something he's not. And you know the other thing about Lindsey Graham that I find interesting? Here he is, a senator from South Carolina. I guarantee that, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's at least 80, 90 percent of his constituents, especially on the Republican side, are, are fervent Christians. They believe very much in an afterlife. They believe in a heaven and a hell. I think it's pretty clear that Lindsey Graham does not believe in a heaven or a hell. One, because he, he would be fearing hell if, he was, if he, he was a believer based upon his immoral actions. But you know what else? He would fear heaven. Because even if he went to heaven, he'd find his old friend John McCain there, and John McCain would kick his ass based upon the stuff he's been doing since John McCain died. So Lindsey Graham clearly doesn't believe in any of that. And I'm not sure what Lindsey Graham does believe in, except Lindsey Graham's own power, his reelection, and his position and his status, which is just pathetic. And so uh, I would say that of all of the Trump sycophants, Lindsey Graham, who knows better, Lindsey Graham, who ripped Donald Trump to shreds during the 2016 election uh, cycle, 
who has now become the biggest Trump sycophant, even to the point of trying to destroy Joe Biden over something he knows is false. He's the worst. Lindsey Graham is, in my opinion, the absolute worst. And as far as the impact of this, I'm not 100 percent sure we know yet. There's differing data on Biden. He's been hurt in some of the state polls in Iowa and New Hampshire. Still doing well in South Carolina, still doing well in Nevada. Most recently this week, after the last Democratic debate, where I don't even think Joe Biden did all that well. In fact, I I thought he did fairly poorly, not horrendously, but certainly not great. Uh, The national polling is very much in his favor. Not necessarily because he has increased his percentage of the vote, but because Elizabeth Warren has suddenly faded fairly dramatically, which is good news if your goal is for Donald Trump to not be reelected, because I've always felt that Elizabeth Warren would be the candidate that he most wanted to face, that Biden was the candidate he least wanted to face. And so maybe Democrats are understanding that. Maybe the Ukrainian scandal is getting that message across. Maybe, and this is me being super optimistic, maybe the the drumbeat of this story is finally getting through to Democrats. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe there's a reason why Donald Trump went to all this trouble to make sure that Joe Biden was smeared with dirt by Ukraine. Maybe that's the message. They're going, oh, okay. All right, wait a minute. Hold on. This isn't a trick. This isn't this isn't a mind game that's being played on us. This is Trump fears Biden. And if Trump fears Biden, then Biden's got to be our guy. And Elizabeth Warren clearly is not somebody he fears. I, that might be too optimistic. I don't know. But for whatever reason, whether it's her her uh, health care plan being unrealistic or what have you, I'm not a big believer people really vote on policy anymore, although maybe a, a few primary voters do. Whatever the reason, right now, nationally, Warren is fading and Biden is in pretty good control of things. It doesn't appear as if Michael Bloomberg's entry into the race is going to dramatically change that, although he's got, you know, probably going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not sure he has the product to be able to sell, even with a couple hundred million dollars to spend. But uh, that's something to look at. But right now, things are looking halfway decent for Joe Biden to be able to emerge as the Democratic nominee, which would be bad for Trump. I'm not sure it would be as bad for Trump as it used to be, because I do think that Biden has lost a little bit of his independent or moderate Republican appeal because of his name being used in conjunction with corruption for so long. But it's it's too early to tell for sure what the impact of all of that is. As far as the polling on impeachment, it's all over the place. People are cherry picking whatever poll they want to show whatever it is that is their favorite narrative with regard to public opinion on impeachment. To me, the public opinion on impeachment is exactly as I said it would be. It is stuck. It is stuck basically almost exactly with regard to the same numbers as Trump's strong approval versus strong disapproval. The people who strongly disapprove of Trump want him removed and impeached and removed. The people who strongly approve of him don't even want him impeached and forget about removal. And nothing's going to change that because we've now hit a brick wall. After the public impeachment hearings, there's very little opportunity for people to change their mind, even if they were open to changing their mind, which I don't think they ever were. So it's, it's basically a situation where 
approximately the same number of people are in favor of impeachment and removal as are against impeachment and removal. Some polls say it's a little bit more in favor of impeachment and removal. Others say something a little bit differently. My my instincts tell me that I think most people are fine when I say most people, over 50%. Over 50% of the people in America are fine with him being impeached, which is just a black mark on his record and, in my opinion, uh, some semblance of accountability for historical record and precedent standpoint. I think they're fine with that. I think removal is maybe a little bit more difficult, and it's not going to happen because to get to removal, in in my opinion, you needed at least 65% of the American people in favor of that. Until you get to 65% in favor of removal, there's nothing that's going to budge the Republican Senate. That's the jury in the Senate after he is impeached. That's not going to change. And so we're never going to get to 65%. And I think we've learned that for 100% certainty after last week's alleged bombshell with Gordon Sunland, which I wrote for Mediate, which I hope you'll check out, and I correctly predicted, you know what? It was interesting from a factual standpoint, but it wasn't going to change the world. It was not going to change anything politically, and it has not changed anything politically. The fundamental uh, basics of the politics of impeachment have not changed and likely will not change in either direction. Another thing that's not going to change the politics because we're so damn uh, uh, distracted and the story is too complex, but I got to at least mention it because in another administration, this would be all we would be talking about. But this week, the Secretary of the Navy was forced to resign, was forced to resign in a situation that we still don't understand and probably will never understand, but where there are three different stories, and the best that I can figure is that what occurred is that because Eddie Gallagher got pardoned by Donald Trump, Eddie Gallagher, who was a convicted war criminal, although he was acquitted on the more significant charges, uh, regarding war crimes. And frankly, I don't I don't know enough about the facts, except for the fact that a, a lot of people uh, who were who were with him testified against him. Uh, so he might have been lucky to get acquitted in his court martial trial, but he was convicted of war crimes. Trump pardoned him and Trump wanted him to have no repercussions at all. And it appears as if the naval secretary went around the defense secretary's back to go to Trump to offer him a deal that if he let the process of investigation go forward, he would ensure that Gallagher got his way or that Trump got his way with regard to how Gallagher would be treated. Then the this is according to the defense secretary. The defense secretary found out about this and fired Spencer. So Gallagher, the convicted war criminal, is being protected by the president of the United States. The president of the United States is bragging about his pardon of Gallagher and the, 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 the naval secretary has now lost his job over this. And I have yet to figure out a, a complete narrative that makes total sense. I don't believe Trump's narrative, which makes absolutely no sense. It feels to me like what's possible is that Spencer, realizing the way Trump operates, thought that maybe he would be open to this idea and that he could preserve the process while still giving Trump what he wanted. And then when the defense secretary found out about that, he killed it. Or perhaps Trump double-crossed Spencer, realizing that if Spencer resigned, which he threatened to do, that this was going to look make him look bad. And so, you know, by the way, the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on the double-cross theory is it would indicate that Trump is super smart. 
It's possible. I mean, this would be a mob-like tactic. It's possible. But what's really depressing to me about this story, other than the fact that the war criminal ends up winning and the naval secretary ends up losing, is that we're never going to get to the bottom of it. We never get to the bottom of anything anymore. Correct. Because we're just too damn distracted. We're too desensitized. And, uh, and our media just goes, you know what? This story is too complicated. There's no celebrities involved. And you, we're just going to move on. We're going to you know, interview Spencer one time on CBS and just move on, wash our hands. And, of course, Trump ends up suffering no consequences for it. And it's pathetic. It's dangerous. And the precedents that it's creating are incredibly significant for the military as a whole. Yet we're just going to move on, pretend it didn't really happen. A couple other stories I want to mention uh, real quick. Uh, the Conan the dog controversy. Did you hear about this? This is speaking about not being able to figure out what the hell is going on. Conan is the dog, the military dog who, who took part in the al-Baghdadi raid, was injured. Trump praised uh, the dog and, uh, and even tweeted a Photoshop photo of Trump giving a medal to the dog, which I mentioned on a prior podcast. Well, Conan the dog was finally brought to the White House uh, Trump introduced him to the press corps, and it was referenced that Conan the dog, as the name implies, is a male. Well, then there were numerous reports that actually know Conan is a female dog. And then after uh, some controversy, the military reversed course again and said, no, Conan is a male. Now, I don't know whether or not Conan's a male or a female. <laughs> I, I don't really care that much. But as I've said previously in this podcast, one of the most underrated dangers of the Trump administration is that we now have so little faith, and rightfully so, in our president that we cannot trust the fact that the military is not potentially covering for the president of the United States having made a mistake about the, the, the gender of a hero dog all to protect his own ego as if he is a mad king as if he is the emperor with no clothes. I don't know that that's what's happening, but it is a rational question to ask. It is a rational theory. Did the military cover up that the dog is actually a female just so that Trump wouldn't be embarrassed? You cannot be serious. I don't know, but it's possible. And this is the insanity that we're living in. It's just flat out ridiculous. And it does matter. Because it goes to a lack of trust. And speaking of a lack of trust, if you get a chance, I urge you to check out, and CNN appears to be replaying this on a fairly consistent basis, I urge you to check out Jake Chap, Jake Tapper, not Jake Chapper, <laughs> Jake Tapper, CNN anchor, a guy who I, I communicate with a little bit uh, via Twitter. Uh, Jake Tapper put together a special called All the President's Lies. And it's really well done, especially, although I have a couple minor issues with some of the examples. It's really well done from the bigger picture. The bigger picture is what happens in a real crisis? What happens in a real crisis where we can't even trust whether or not the president is telling us the truth about whether Conan the dog is a male or a female? We can't trust the president as to whether or not Alabama really was in the line of a hurricane. Uh, I think the Alabama story and the Conan story are somewhat similar. In fact, someone actually posted on Twitter uh, Trump in the Oval Office fictitiously showing a giant picture 
of Conan the dog where he has sharpied in the dog's penis <laughs> to make it appear as if Conan really was a male. <laughs> That's just the world we're living in, folks. I'm sorry. You cannot be serious. But it, this is an important issue because what happens in a real crisis? And why are the lies no longer having any impact? It's because of the desensitization which I have referenced many, many times, and all the president's lies does a really good job of putting that into context. Now, in a moment, I will have a few closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. MB Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of the, all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. You know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to, to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. 
And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. It's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that are doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and Certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're we are a higher price product, and the reason for that is is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness, and you know what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product, their patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com, imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. We end each episode of the Individual One podcast with an update on two important numbers. The first is what are the percentage chances that uh, Trump will not finish his first term in office? And the second is what are his chances for reelection? A slight adjustment to those numbers in this episode, number 72. I'm going to put the chances of Trump not finishing his first term in office at 13 percent and the chances of him being reelected. I'm going to hold at 38 percent largely because of Joe Biden's new increased strength in the National Democratic polls. Uh, So some good news, some bad news there on those numbers with which we end each episode of the podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual1Pod. That's at Individual1Pod. Until Sunday in our next episode of the Individual1Podcast, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. 